About a year ago, the elders and the staff leaders brainstormed of what was the next logical step for the church. When we built this building here, we knew that eventually we wanted to put a care center in it and take the basement area and convert it into classrooms. God moved the schedule ahead ahead of pace, and we got the care center done much sooner than we anticipated. But what's happened over time is the use of the rest of the downstairs for facilities, for overflow, for the care center and the food pantry has filled that place. And so as we began to think, what is the next step? Well, we've got to have a place to put all the stuff downstairs. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff downstairs. It's become storage. It's become a workshop. It's become a lot of things. So we'll have to build something to move all that stuff to and then determine what to do with the basement area. But one of the pressing needs we we came to realization was we've got to take care of our kids because we're used to a nice foyer, a nice worship area. They're dealing with a hand-me-down facility that's showing 17 years of wear and tear. For those of you who don't go over to the other side of the building, um, you can see the stark contrast between the areas that have been redone, the foyer and the hallways, compared to the classrooms that have been you know, use over and over and over again, particularly the Next Gen Worship Center, which sees activity several days and nights a week. I mean, carpet's frayed, it's just, just beat up. But more importantly, it's, not, it's never been designed for the kids. It was areas we used to use that we just said, kids, now you can take it. And the thought of waiting another eight or ten years to even to do anything about that building um, was just unacceptable to us. And so, as elders prayed and, and as we came together, we, we de- determined that we believe God wanted us to do these three things. And they would follow in order and hopefully soon one after the other. So what you're hearing today is about phase one. There is a phase two and a phase three. Phase one is to renovate the ministry space in the next gen center and the classrooms around it. We have up in the upstairs a room where our elementary kids meet that sometimes has 100 to 115 kids. It's just packed. There's no room for growth. We need to make more room for elementary kids. The room that our youth meet in, uh, they meet in the Next Gen Center. They break up into small groups, which is really a heart of our ministry. Um, It's getting into small groups where an adult leader actually listens to kids, helps them walk through the issues. Kids are dealing with unprecedented issues today. They need... Uh, caring Christian adults who will, who will talk to them about these issues. The, the problem is, in that room, there's no walls between the groups, and so you've got them scattered. Uh, on Wednesday night, we have re-engage here, and we have an adult group over there, an adult group in the back corner, and I hear complaints saying, we hear the other group, and it bothers us. They're laughing when we're getting serious. So you, you can imagine if you had 12 groups of teenagers sharing a space. Well, that's what's happening over there. We need um, private space. We have kids meeting out in the hallways. Just whatever place we can find to find some privacy. So it's not effective right now. They're using it as best we can, but we want to make it functional. And so here's the plan. The, the biggest part of that is to take that worship area, come in 15 feet on either side, put breakout rooms underneath and classrooms and offices on the upper level, still keeping in the middle a gathering place where 250 people can come together and experience a large group meeting or worship. But more importantly, it would become a space designated for our kids and our youth. The eventual plan is that whole building over there is all for kids. And some of you know there's security issues in churches today. And uh, even last Sunday, you guys don't know, last service, someone walked up, handed me an open pocket knife. Not, not a threat, he wasn't threatening me, but there are things happening frequently in churches where security is an issue. 
There will come a time when we will have those doors over there that we can't pass through unless you have a certain lanyard on or you are a parent dropping off a kid because of the sake of our children. That's phase one, to renovate the area over there. Phase two is to build a building over on the side here, a standalone building that would become our care center and on the backside will become a facilities operations building. The care center downstairs has maximized the space. They need more space. So our plan is to double the space for our food pantry, for our counseling services, and benevolent services. And really having a building by itself over here where people can drive in, park, and just see that will be so nice for them. Because downstairs then, we would take the, the current care center would be the entrance for our offices. We would move all of our staff offices out of that building move them downstairs on one side, and on the other side have three large adult rooms that can be opened up into one very large adult meeting space. And so those are the three phases that we plan. Phase one is, is to do the next-gen center, and we are beginning it today, and hopefully we'll raise money by March of next year, begin construction in May, and be complete by the fall. So a year from now, we will be cutting the ribbon on that building for our children. So there's a lot of work. It's exciting. It's scary a little bit. But I'll tell you this. We would plan to roll this out back in March. And God said, wait, you're not ready. The church isn't ready. And so we've worked hours and hours of prayer, a lot of conversations. We've not even consulted with outside firms. Sometimes you can pay people twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to come in and help you raise money. We said, we're not going to do that. We're just going to pray. And we're going to ask God what to do. And so everything you're seeing is kind of homegrown. Um, from all the banners, these banners, by the way, you need to go out in the foyer and look. It's, it's 3,000 pictures of our church history combined together to make that mosaic. Uh, the videos that are being done, something we've never done before uh, to show our church history. The video architectural renderings you'll see out in the lobby are, are new, and they're very creative and allowing you to get a real picture on what um, God has put in our hearts to do for our kids for the future. The goal is to raise between six hundred and $750,000 by that time, by March of next year, so we can build. And our commitment is always to build with what God gives us. We will not go to, into debt. So if we don't have it, we won't spend it. So you just need to know our elders are very committed. We're not raising the debt level of our church. If God doesn't give it through his people, we won't do it. That's, that was our commitment with this building, too. And, and uh, God did it. Um, God allowed us to have a, a wonderful facility. So... Imagine, or excuse me, a measurable impact for 62 years. I'm in uh, what I believe is the start of the fourth quarter of my ministry life. When I look at it in years, it's kind of like a football game. I've already lived the first three quarters of my ministry life. I probably have another 10 years of full-time ministry left in me. And as, there's something about the fourth quarter that flips the switch. It makes you feel like, okay, game on. We've got to finish strong. And I, I want to get to into the 70s of my life, looking backwards and saying, you know what, we did good. We stepped out in faith. We trusted God. We did a great thing. We're leaving the next generation a church that's in a really good place. You know, God has given us a plan, and we really believe this is the time, and we are the people to do it. We are actually in a really healthy place as a church. We, we, are, we have strong staff. We have strong elders. We have a great leadership within our volunteer ministries. We're healthy financially. And we believe God's saying to us, okay, now you're ready for the next step. And we're very excited about what God has in store for us. Remember that picture that was in the video? This picture we'll show you on, on the screen. This is one of the very first Sundays that the church met. Those families had no idea what God would do with their faith. 
when they decided, let's plant a church in Colorado Springs in the South area that will minister to the military families and those in the bedroom community of security. They had no clue that they would reach thousands and thousands of people, send missionaries all over the world down the road, yet they had enough faith to step out and say, let's start meeting, let's start praying, and, and look what God has done. They moved to a couple locations, bought a piece of property, built the building on Aspen Drive, extended it a couple times, and then you'll hear as we go through these video stories, move the whole campus over here. So we're going to move to a whole new location. We're actually going to change the church name and, uh, and have church here. And then we expanded to this place, but we're not done. There's, there's more space here. There's more opportunities. And we just believe God is stretching us again to the next place. And as Audrey and Steve shared with you, what we want most of all, this is not about um, finances as much as it is about faith and impact. When I look around this church, I, I see stories. I see people whose lives have been impacted by the church in phenomenal ways. And we want that to continue for generations to come. In a world that's very tough on Christians, in a world where churches are closing the doors all the time, we want to be a church that's very strong in this community and so that people know I can go to that church. And I know there'll be people that'll tell me God's word there. I know there'll be people there that'll help me walk through this difficult season in my life. And there's nothing greater for me than to reach that point later in life and look back and see my grandkids, maybe even great-grandkids by that time, Loving the Lord and loving going to this church. So I want to talk today about the measurable impact of a church. I want to start with a verse from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave this. It's just two little statements he makes in chapter 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Salt and light. We as believers, individually, but more importantly, collectively, are salt and light. Now, what does salt refer to? Well, salt in biblical times was largely a preservative. You could pack meat in salt and it would fight off bacteria. It would preserve it. But salt also flavors. Salt adds something to uh, something you're eating. We love salt on popcorn. We love salt on our steaks. We love salt in what it does because it enhances flavor. It adds something to everything it touches. What about light? What does light do? Well, when, when, when you turn a light on, it illuminates everything in the room. When light is present, it makes everything look better. So you have salt that makes everything taste better, light that makes everything look better. We as Christians make this world a better place. Churches are present in this world to make this world a better place. And so I just want to ask you, what would this community be like, and maybe what would your life be like if this church had never been planted? Now, some of you probably would have found another church. That's true. But I'll promise you there's some in this place who, who wouldn't be in church at all. And when I think about what this church has, has meant to me and meant to so many families here, I, I think that the reason you stayed is because it's done something for you. The same thing it can do for people in the community. So when I think of the church being salt and light, I really want to talk from the perspective of what has it done for you? Because the same things it does for you, it's doing It offers to the people around us. So one of the things the church offers, one of the things the church gives to us is it becomes a second home, a second home. Many of us live in Colorado because we've been transplanted here. Military's dropped us off here. We've retired here. Business brought us here. For some reason, we've moved from the outside to Colorado Springs. A lot of us don't have extended family that live here. Our parents don't live here. Maybe our kids do because we do, but we got put here and... Wherever you go, you need to find a place to connect. 
And when you came into this church, one of the comments I hear so often is, I felt welcomed when I came to this place. I grew up in a home that, honestly, I was thinking this week, I, I, don't, I cannot think of a single fond memory in my home. There's nothing that stirs up warm emotions, nothing that makes me long for the days of old. Uh, my, home, my home was a place just to survive. I had a bedroom. There was a lot of tension in the house, a lot of clutter in the house, a lot of people in the house, a lot of vulgarity in the house, and it was a place where I would go, eat, sleep, get out until I graduated. And then, uh, but I'll tell you this, when, in high school, I got invited to a youth group. It was in a Methodist church, and in the third floor of this Methodist church, there was a building way in the back, in the top, and it became known as the youth room. And the church told the, the youth leader that he could paint the room however he wanted to for the youth. So he was an artist, and he painted all these psychedelic doors all around the room on the walls. Just, and then he put furniture in it, like old couches and things. And that was the youth room. We'd always call it the youth room. That was a room dedicated to the youth. Everybody knew in the whole church, that's the youth room. We don't have that here, by the way. We don't have a youth room. We don't have a place that's a home for the youth. But I did as a kid. And for four years of high school, that's where I hung out. That's where we had Bible study. That's where we sang praises to God. That's where we we would do fun activities, up in that youth room. And I found that church became a home to me because I walk in the door and kids would actually hug me, tell tell me they were glad to see me. Nobody was cussing. Nobody was yelling. Um, It was just a good place to be. And the church became a home, and it's been that way ever since. The churches I've been part of has been a second home for me. In many ways, I would say it's the first home, the best home, the home that I love to come to. Whether I'm preaching or leading anything, I love being around the church family. And I love to watch so many of you when you're in the foyer, you're hugging, um, sometimes you give a kiss on the cheek, you're, you're talking kindly to one another. Where else in this world will you find people of different ethnic backgrounds, of different economic classes, different ages, um, different occupations, different political um, views, even different sports teams, though this one's heavily biased toward one. And yet you sit side by side with one another, and you talk to one another, and you love it. Where Where else do you go in the culture to find something like that than the church? God has put together such a mix of people in this thing we call the church family, and it's always been that way. One of the things I love to watch in a church is I see, I see some people who I know our society would consider outcasts. It's, it's that guy who just doesn't seem to fit in. It's that girl that, that just never married and she's by herself. It, it's, it's that older person who lost their loved one and they feel very lonely, and yet when they come to this place, all of a sudden they discover a family. And the church becomes home to them. And maybe the church has been home to you. I wonder what we'd be missing if this church wasn't here. It's a second home. Here's, a, here's another thing the church has done. I've seen this over and over. It makes us better people. It makes me a better person. Many of us came to church because we reached a point in life where we said, I've got something going on in my life inside that I can't find help for. I don't know how to fix. I don't know how to, I'm broken. I'm wounded. I don't know how to deal with this issue. And when your car is broken, where do you take it? The mechanic, right? Take it to a mechanic. That's where you take a broken car. If your body's broken, where do you take it? Go to the hospital or go to the doctor. It just makes sense. 
Where do you go when the spirit's broken? Where do you go when your heart is crushed? Where do you go? There's not many places. Now, if you have a healthy home, maybe that's it. But most of us don't have that place. Where else do you go? Many of you came to church because you were at a place of life where you said, something's broken in here, and I think maybe God can help me. I think maybe if I could get to a church, they could tell me something about God. Or maybe they can open that book and there's some words in there that would really start to heal me. And, and what many of you found is it, it did happen. That when you started to bring your life in alignment with the teachings of Scripture, your life got better. And you felt freer. And your marriage got better. And your kids were happier. And you found that God was doing something in you that was remarkable. Now, I will not say that the church is full of perfect people by any means. People look at the church and go, oh, man, you got people with all kinds of problems. I go, duh. I go, in the, I, I go to Memorial Hospital, and if I walk around, I go, this place is full of sick people. All over this hospital, every room I go in, there's sick people here. I go to an auto mechanic's place and go, you guys, all you deal with is broken cars here. You know, yeah, we deal with broken people at churches. If you see some problems, that's why we're in church. That's why we're here. I've got stuff in me. I've got junk in me. I've got issues that I need help with. And you know, when you get healthier, you get happier. And when you get happier, guess what happens to the people around you? They get happier too. See, one of the things I think church is so good at is people come in, get a little, little boost, little repair. They're not perfect, but they go back out into their homes, into their schools, into their businesses, in their neighborhoods, and they make them better. They make them better. You make, you make your house better. You make your neighborhood better. You make your place of employment better. You make your school better because you're there and because of what God's doing in your heart. See, when the Holy Spirit comes in, starts to replace the selfish nature and gives us love for others and joy and peace and patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, the church teaches things that you typically don't hear outside the church. Things that sound countercultural, like it's better to give than receive. You should put others before yourself. You, you live by dying. I mean, we, we hear these things that seem contradictory. It's in the church where we realize that your worth is not based on how you look or how you feel or what other people say. Your, your worth is inherent because God made you in his image. And so you have value for the fact that you are made by a creator God who thinks you're awesome. And you are loved right where you are. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to validate it. You don't have to measure up to something to be loved. You are loved. And so because of that, it does something inside. We become better. And then we leave here and we are filled with goodness. Makes us better people. And then the third thing, I think the church does that's very amazing is it offers us a hope and a purpose. Offers us a hope and a purpose. When I think of this imagery of the light, light is hope. When you're in a dark room and you feel lost, think of what happens when you reach over and flip a switch or you pull a cord and light pops on. It is just, it just, it's transformational. And there's this imagery in scripture. When Jesus came, he says he came into a land of darkness Into the darkness of the Gentiles came a light. 
And then he tells us that we are the light. We are the light in a world that's very dark. Turn on the TV. What do you hear? Negativity. Everything's falling apart. Everything's in crisis. I mean, a politician recently said America never has been great, and it's not great. It's doubtful it'll ever be great. You hear about suicides. You hear about drug addiction. You hear about marriages aren't working. You hear all this stuff constantly, constantly, constantly. Bad news. Everything's disastrous. And then the light switches on. And it's Jesus saying, I love that world, and I can fix that world through my church. And through people like us, we aren't just holding on to a thread saying, if I can just get through this life, I can get into the next one. And we're actually saying, that's coming, but right now I can make this a better place. There is hope for this world. There, is, there are problems that we can solve on this earth. We can solve hunger issues and disease issues and marriage issues. God has given us resources to do that. To do that. If we would come together. I mean, the church is a birthplace of visions. It's an incubator for the impossible. It's a place where we start thinking, what if God? What if God was brought into this? What, what if God was invited to be part of this? What if God would have a solution for this? That's why Steve said, don't put God in a box. Don't say it is what it is. God can change things. God can move mountains. And God has done amazing things through people who looked to him, heard from him, and then acted in faith. And so we look at this culture, and I look at what our kids are going through. I mean, our kids are, go- are looking at a very bleak world. And yet, we have an opportunity to tell our teenagers, to tell our children, even the littlest ones, that God has a purpose for you. God has a hope for you. Your life matters, not only to you, but it matters to other people. And we want to help you realize that. We want to introduce you to Jesus, but we want, we want you to walk with him throughout your entire lives. And so that's, we have an opportunity to make sure that th- this church continues to have an impact on this community for generations to come. Now, what can you do? What can I do? What are we asking you to do? Three things. One is to engage. We want to ask you to engage. Over the next several weeks, learn about what God is doing. Learn about our student ministry. Many of you have never actually walked over to the other building, or you've never talked to Pastor Dustin or Pastor Jace, who deals with our student ministry and our children's ministry. Find out what their needs are. Find out what their ministry is doing. Learn about it. Get engaged. Come to a dessert. Um, We will give you a lot more information and allow you to ask questions of us. Even ask, why are we doing that? What about this? Um, That's your opportunity, so get signed up. By the way, next Sunday, there is uh, one we're holding at the 915 service for two of our classes that already meet. We don't have room for the congregation to join that one, but all the other ones, you're welcome to join because that one's already filled. But please come and get the information. Stop by the kiosk, see the videos, talk to uh, Brian and uh, Bonnie and the others that are out there. So be engaged. Secondly, pray. Um, Some of you have been praying already. We've been praying for a few weeks from the 40 days of prayer. But everything moves forward when we're on our knees in prayer. Really pray, God, use your church. Use all of us collectively in a phenomenal way. God, bless, bless this church to be a blessing to those around us. This isn't about Pikes Peak Christian Church. This is about Jesus and his body, which is his church. So be in prayer for that. Be prayerful for you as a family. My wife and I have been involved in church building projects for our whole married life. We've probably been involved in seven or eight of these. And every time we've participated in it, and we've been blessed because we've done that. So really, we want to give you an opportunity. Be blessed. Ask God, God, what would you have us do? What would you have us do to support this? And then thirdly, contribute. 
as Steve said, it's, it's going to take uh, resources to build, and, and God has all the resources in the world at his disposal. He's just tied them up to people. And so uh, just asking God, what can we do to be part of that? And then on October 7th, to make a commitment and to start giving toward that in whatever way that God enables you to do that. Well, you know, um, I remember when we were getting ready to build this building, I considered a pushing pause on it, that maybe we should wait. And one of our new elders, uh, Mark Fisher, had said, you know, when I hear stories of what the people did at Aspen Drive and the decisions they made to get the church where it is today, he said, I want to be like those people. I want us as elders to have that same kind of faith. And that helped just, uh, just gel us together to say, we need to move forward. We need to stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. And as Audrey said, you and I get to write that next chapter. You and I get to determine what happens for the future of this church.